Tonight we finish up a, a two-semester class on apologetics called Defending uh, the Faith. Uh, really, we have been looking at uh, the reasonableness of the Christian faith. The world will say it's just blind, that it's, uh, we're just, it's hopeful thinking, but uh, the Christian faith does make sense of our world. In fact, it makes the best sense of our reality. It, it explains how our world fits together. God is creator, and we live in his world. And so God is the one who gets to define reality for us. He interprets our world, his world, for us. Who are we? Uh, dependent creations made in the image of God. What is our purpose? To reflect God's glory. We were made to image Him to the rest of creation, revealing His righteousness. Our problem is our sin, our rebellion against God, and the solution is uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That is a basic Christian understanding. And it's out of that understanding that we live with God as our, uh, uh, as our good Father. The Christian faith should affect all of life, all we think, do, and say. It, it addresses our motivations, not just what we do, but why we do it. God is our final authority, and He has revealed Himself in the Bible uh, the Bible is the very Word of God. And as Christians, we should be so filled with God's Word that it shapes our understanding of life and godliness. Uh, as such, our defense of the faith uh, in both semesters, we began by looking at uh, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, exalt Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense or to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Living with Christ as Lord should motivate us to live and act differently. And that should be an appeal. That should be a, a gospel proclamation to the world that somehow we are different. Everyone in life faces really the same pressures and difficulties, don't we? Believer and non-believer. We live in the same world. But the question should come that when unbelievers see us, they should be asking, why are we responding with hope? and confidence, even in the midst of storms. And as God gives us opportunities as we engage with people with gentleness and respect, we can address their worldview, their belief system, and why it doesn't quite make sense adequately. And so last semester we looked at a number of belief systems, Mormonism, uh, naturalism, Islam, and, and we looked at how they made sense of the world and where they failed. And so this semester we've been looking at 
uh, more so the questions that people ask of Christianity. If Christianity is real, it can stand up to the scrutiny, can't it? We don't have to be afraid of the questions. We may not always have the answers, but we can tell people the reason why we have confidence, the reason we have hope. And so, uh, tonight, we're really addressing two questions. Uh, The first is, if Christianity is true, why do Christians disagree? And then secondly, why do so many Christians live as hypocrites? Uh, We're going to start with the, the second question first. If Christianity is true, then why do so many Christians live as hypocrites? Why do they live like non-Christians? Why do those who profess Christ live like the rest of the world? The easiest and overriding answer is uh, sin. Uh, When I say sin, I mean just unbelief. When we sin, we are not believing what God says is good and right. We are choosing to go our own way, to follow our own interpretation of reality rather than God's interpretation. It's the sin of the garden, isn't it? God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you shall die. But then Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and what does he say? You surely shall not die. But God knows that if you eat of the tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's way is not best. In fact, God is withholding good from you. And so decide for yourself. They ate of the tree, and we all know what happened. Their eyes were opened uh, to their shame and their guilt. And so... Now we all live so often listening only to our own voice and our own interpretation. Each of us in our natural state before coming to Christ go our own way. We, as Kyle said Sunday, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We choose sin rather than God. But in Christ we are the new creation. And in Him, there's something in us that's different. We, are, we have a new nature, we have the Holy Spirit, and that new nature loves God and wants to obey God. We, we believe, even when we struggle, we believe and we know that God's interpretation is correct and best. So the question still stands, why do people who profess to be Christians not live as Christians? Why are they hypocrites? 
And as I said, the answer is still sin, but within that, thinking about those professing Christians, thinking about us and others, uh, within this group who, who sometimes live in sin, I want to th- consider two different categories of people. Uh, the first are not true believers. Not everyone who says they are a Christian is a true Christian. Not everyone who's prayed a particular prayer or raised their hand or come to an altar is truly saved. A Christian has saving faith, trust not in those external activities, but faith in what Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection. Coming to an altar or praying a particular prayer are not necessarily bad things, but the question is, what's the object of your faith? What are you trusting? Is your faith, is your trust in the things that you're doing? Or is our faith in Christ and the work that he did for us? Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. They claim the name of Christ, perhaps have some spiritual experience, but they have not trusted in Christ. And so Christ declares that He does not know them in any redemptive sense because they do not know Him as their Savior. Or think about uh, Hebrews 6. Uh, The author there talks about those who have been enlightened, had a degree of understanding. They have shared in the gift of the Holy Spirit, sat under the preaching of the Word, experienced the goodness of community life, but walked away. They looked like Christians, sounded and acted like Christians for a time, but then showed themselves to be imitations. Jesus speaks of the same thing in in the parable of the the seed and the soil in Matthew 13. If you remember, there are four uh, soils. The the seed is the gospel and, and is sown among the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. Uh, the, the, the hard soil represents those who outright reject the gospel. They show no interest. There's no spiritual life in them at all. Uh, the seed uh, sown on the good soil is the heart that believes the gospel. And then Jesus says, and some produce a, a crop of 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. But in the second and third soil, the rocky soil and the thorny soil, there is a response initially 
to the gospel, but it does not last. And this is what Jesus says in verses 20 to 22 of Matthew 13. The seed sown on the rocky soil is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but is, as the New American Standard says, temporary. And when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. And the seeds sown among the thorns are those who hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, proving it unfruitful. In both cases, the word is received, but it is only an intellectual activity or maybe an emotional response, but it's not true saving faith. Saving faith has an intellectual aspect to it, doesn't it? There is a content that we need to understand and believe, and, and, and very often our emotions are part of that, aren't they? they have a, we have an emotional response. But saving faith is not just believing the gospel is true. In James 2, it says the demons believe, but they're not saved. They know who Jesus is, and they know he died, and they know he was raised, but they do not trust him for salvation. True saving faith is a work of the Spirit so that we believe what Jesus accomplished and trust in Him as the hope for salvation. Am I trusting in Christ and what He did for me? Or am I trusting in myself and my own effort, my own good works? Good works, obedience is important, isn't it? But it is not the basis of our salvation, but rather the evidence that we have been saved, that the Holy Spirit now resides in us. Again, James 2, verse 18, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Saving faith is living faith that produces good works in us. But the good works is the fruit of faith. And it's important to have that order correct, isn't it? We see it in uh, Ephesians 2. Paul is speaking, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, lest any man should boast. We all know that passage. That salvation is all of grace, not of works. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved through faith in Christ alone, but saving faith produces the fruit of the Spirit within us. 
It makes a difference in how we live our life and what we do. And if we are not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the good works that God has prepared, then the question is, do we have the Spirit? And if we do not have the Spirit, then we are not a Christian. The apparent hypocrisy in this group is not that of a true Christian acting like an unbeliever, but rather is an unbeliever claiming to be a Christian. Christ is the vine, and we are the branches. As we abide in Him and He abides in us, only then can we produce the good works that please God. The second group in uh, this question of hypocrisy uh, are true Christians. And it's, if we're going to be honest, it's all of us at times, isn't it? Who, uh, at moments in our life, live in unbelief. In, in a moment, it's not, it's not the character of our life, but in the moment, God says, forgive others, love your enemies, but in... <laughs> Our frustration, our anger, that seems too hard to do, doesn't it? And we're not willing to do that because if we do, then they get away with it. And that doesn't seem fair. And so we struggle to obey. And so those moments where we fail is the result of what is called the indwelling sin in the life of the believer. A true Christian is one who has trusted in Christ for salvation. They have a new nature. They love God. They love His righteousness. They have been forgiven of the guilt of their sin, and they have been set free uh, from the power of sin. Their life manifests the fruit of the Spirit, giving evidence that they are born again. But even the Christian still has an old nature, don't we? And so there's this battle that wages within us as we seek to walk in the Spirit and not follow the deeds of the flesh. That's why Paul tells us in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you, are not, uh, so that you do not do what, what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There was a time before coming to Christ that we didn't give a second thought to sin. We reveled in it. We enjoyed it. We loved ourselves and our old nature. But now we are the new creation in Christ. We have His Spirit and there is this battle within us to do what is right. And the battle is an evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. 
We now want to love God and obey Him. Think of John uh, 5, verses 1 to 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome to us. But God knows that there are times that the appeal of sin is strong. And so he tells us, let us walk, this is Paul speaking in Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He tells us, make no provision for the flesh. We are to take up our cross daily to follow Christ, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. We don't want to be hypocrites. And so we deny the sinful desires that, so that we do not sin and, and bring shame to Christ. Again, the, the Apostle John in his first epistle says, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has seen him or knows him. Those are sobering words, aren't they? They're a call to examine our heart. Do we keep on sinning? It's not about the day-to-day struggles, but it's about the trajectory of our life. Are we, not are we sometimes falling, but are we heading in the right direction? Are we getting up and pursuing Christ? When we fall, we, we, we turn to the Spirit, because the Spirit doesn't allow us to stay in that sinful state, does He? He he nudges us and He convicts us. We repent. We turn from sin and turn to Christ who will renew us and strengthen us to live in obedience to Him. And then in that same book of John, He says, but if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There are moments of hypocrisy in our life where we act like unbelievers. There are times that we sin, but if we confess our sin, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And so the Bible calls us to examine our life, to see if we are of the household of faith. Is the trajectory of our life heading in the right direction? We look not simply at our performance as the basis of salvation, but we do look at our heart as it turns to God in repentance. When we're aware of sin, we go to the one who forgives and changes us. And we do so in full confidence, knowing that Christ has already won the victory for us. Now, I'm not talking about uh, uh, taking grace for granted, but rather a heart that knows and loves God and wants Him as Savior and Lord. That is an evidence of the Spirit within us. We grieve our sin and we want to obey the One who died for us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 7, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. It's not just It's not just enough to feel bad about our sin. That doesn't help us. Conviction of sin isn't meant just to make us feel miserable for a while, as though somehow we can atone for our sin by feeling bad for a day or two. What the grief is supposed to do is to drive us to Christ. And so it is a a sign that we are saved. And it's also a means that God has given us to be changed by His Spirit. Sometimes Christians get the wrong idea. Repentance isn't begging God to forgive you again. We have already been justified in Christ. And for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. But repentance is a turning from sin and a turning to Christ. It's not just stopping the activity, it's actually turning to the one who can change us. We look to Christ and we behold His glory, and as we behold His glory, we are transformed as we gaze upon Him. We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do we become more like Christ, we look upon Him. Repentance is, really repentance is the Christian life, isn't it? It's a daily occurrence. It's interesting, uh, uh, I've said this before, Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, the first thesis was not about the priesthood of all believers or justification by faith alone, it was uh, the Christian life is a life of repentance. Daily, it's the same thing as taking up your cross daily and following me. Daily we turn from sin, those desires that we still have, those tendencies that we tend to go towards, and we turn to Christ. And as we turn to Him and we look at Him, His Spirit moves in us and we are changed. 
as we look on Christ, as we read and meditate upon his word, as we commune with him in prayer, we avail ourselves of the ordinary means of grace. Those are things that God uses to transform us, to renew the image of God within us. So often we think of daily devotions and church attendance as sort of hoops we got to do to keep God happy with us. When really they are Jesus' gift to his bride. They're the way that we enjoy him. And we grow to know and to love him. Are there moments of hypocrisy even in Christians? In a sense, yes. In those moments of sin, we are not living by faith, are we? But our repentance when we fail is itself a declaration that the gospel is true. It is a reason for our hope that we have a high priest who intercedes for us. And that in Christ, I can now go to my Father. I can come in the name of Jesus and enter His throne room to receive grace and mercy in my time of need. I don't need to wallow in self-guilt or do some penance. The answer to the charge of hypocrisy for us, is the blood of Christ. Yes, I still sin. But I'm different than what I was. We have been justified, but we're in the process of being sanctified. And when I do sin, I run to the Savior. And he draws near to me. The, the second question. If Christianity is true, then why do Christians disagree? Uh, the presupposition is that Christians will agree on everything. And to be honest with you, I ask that question a lot of times. Why doesn't everybody just agree with me? I think I'm right. <laughs> the fact is, we do agree, don't we? We agree on what's most important. The gospel. The God became man he lived a perfect life. He died in our place, and then he was raised on the third day. He accomplished salvation for us. True Christians in all places and all times agree on that. In fact, if you disagree with any of those propositions, who he is and what he accomplished, then, then you are not a Christian. Christians agree on the gospel, but we can disagree on other Christian issues, can't we? And, and even when we do, we, we can do that 
and still treat and should treat one another as brothers and sisters. In some uh, Christian circles, the saying is, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. We must agree on the gospel as essential. But in other areas not directly pertaining to salvation, we can disagree. As Christians, we're trying to make sense of the Bible, aren't we? We're trying to see how all the parts fit together and how do we emphasize them correctly. And sometimes we have different understanding of that, don't we? Sometimes it's an issue of uh, continuity and discontinuity in Scripture. In other words, what's the relationship uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament? All believers in the Old Testament and New Testament are saved by grace, not through works, but through Christ. But the Bible does speak about an Old Covenant and a New Covenant, doesn't it? There is continuity, there is continuation between the old and the new, but there's also discontinuity, ways that the Old Testament is different than the new. How do we relate Israel to the church and prophecy and end times? Is there one people of God or two separate people with different promises? How does the, the, the law, the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament relate to the New uh, Testament Christian today? There are some things that are the same for us, but there are things that are different. Now, I'm not going to answer all those questions for you tonight. I'd be glad to, um, but um, that's not the purpose. The purpose is just to highlight that, uh, as I mentioned all those things, every single, pretty much every single person in here had a, an opinion, and I dare say they weren't all exactly the same. Sometimes it's not about continuity and discontinuity, but rather what is sometimes called um, antinomies. In his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer defines an antinomy as, as an appearance of a contradiction between conclusions which seem equally logical, reasonable, or necessary. In other words, what he's saying is that sometimes there are things in Scripture that we don't understand how they fit together, how they both can be true. Uh, and the title of the book obviously uh, tells you what he's talking about. Uh, uh, scripture teaches that God is absolutely sovereign over everything. Nothing happens that's not according to the counsel of his unchanging will. Yet, God has ordained that we also are responsible to be involved in his plan. He calls us to pray, he calls us to obey. God is sovereign and, and we are responsible. But and we can all acknowledge that, 
But as we try to work out the implications of that in life, those two realities, sometimes it's hard to see how they fit fully together. You don't have to talk to Christians very long before you might hear a debate or a disagreement about God's sovereignty and election and the freedom of the human will. They seem like they are contradictory truths. But they are both taught in Scripture in certain ways. That is an antinomy. They seem contradictory, but they are both in Scripture, so we know that they are both true. But how do we reconcile those truths to one another? Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, was asked that. How do you you reconcile the sovereignty of God and human responsibility? And he says, you don't reconcile friends. They, They seem contradictory to us sometimes, but in the mind of God, they make perfect sense, and they fit together perfectly. The fact that our finite minds can't comprehend how God has designed His world to operate fully shouldn't surprise us. God reveals both these truths in His Word, and so we believe what He says. And so when God speaks of human responsibility and salvation, we believe it. And when God speaks of His sovereignty in election... We believe that as well. We believe all that God says. Now, you and I may disagree about how those truths fit together, but that disagreement should not be hostile, should it? We rest not in our limited understanding, but we rest in Him in all that He has revealed in His Word. In our limitations, we will disagree at times. So it's really not a question of if we will disagree, but how do we disagree? And that's where 1 Peter 3 is so helpful. But in your hearts, exalt Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. As we exalt Christ as Lord, we disagree in the, in the ways that He tells us to. We do it with gentleness. We do it with respect. when we respond to unbelievers or to each other without gentleness and without respect, what are we acting like? We're acting like the world. We're denying the power of the gospel to actually treat someone that you disagree with with gentleness and respect is a demonstration of the power of God within you. Now, I'm not saying all those issues I mentioned, the relationship of the law to the Christian or Israel to the church or sovereignty and freedom are not important issues. If you know me, you know I think they're vitally important. 
but they are not directly the gospel. Different Christians are going to disagree upon some of those issues. And sometimes, you know what, sometimes that's, we, have, we have different churches. In one sense, it's to our shame, but in another sense, it allows us to gather and not argue every week over what the sermon said. Because we're choosing to gather together in a, in a given church whose interpretation of the Bible we tend to agree with. And so that's okay. We, we can go to different churches and be part of different denominations and yet still what? Encourage and pray for one another and for other churches that are preaching the gospel. And you can encourage people. If, if they choose, if they're leaving Green Tree for, for in a godly way and going someplace else, that's always sad on one level. But if they're going to another gospel-preaching church simply because that's what they agree with, okay. I remember years ago there was a young man who was struggling, uh, uh, was just coming to conclusions uh, about the Bible, particularly about sovereignty and salvation, some other things that, that uh, he was disagreeing uh, with what he was hearing from the pulpit, though he had great respect for the pastor's. And uh, it, he took a long time before he left. And I remember the last conversation, in-depth conversation we've had before he left the church. It was, um, it was Pat and myself. We were over at Starbucks in Ocean City. And, you know, we're just talking to each other, and you can tell that, you know, uh, we're, we're just missing each other. Somehow we're, we're understanding Scripture differently. And... I said, do you, you want to know what you should do? And you feel like in that moment saying, just shut up and, and believe what I tell you to believe. <laughs> That's what you feel like saying, because you, you think you're right. I said, read the Bible and just believe what it says. And I said, if that takes you a different direction, that's okay. And then we prayed together. We agree on the gospel as the essential. And our disagreements on secondary issues or tertiary issues, like social issues and politics, we handle in the spirit with love and compassion and a graciousness to one another. How will they know we are his, uh, his disciples? That we love one another. Christians disagree because we take the word of God seriously. And we want to be faithful in discerning what it says. But if, if, we're, if each of us is seeking to love God and to cherish His Word and to believe what it says, then, then all we can do is disagree in love. 
knowing that when, when Christ returns, all that secondary disagreement stuff isn't going to matter to us anymore. You're all going to realize I was right all along. We disagree in a spirit of love knowing that we agree on what is most important, the message that is uh, to be proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Father, um, it's easy to say uh, we should disagree in gentleness and love. It's harder when we're actually in the heat of the moment. Uh, Help us to love you and to love others more than we love ourselves, more than we love having people think that we're right. Help us to um, not seek to be understood as much as we seek to listen and to understand others. And that as we talk about... uh, Uh, different issues, that we would do so with love in our heart uh, for uh, the the unity that we have in you. Help us to live out what it means uh, to be a follower of Christ in all the ways uh, that it should in our life. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming.